Well, praise the Lord. It's good to see each one of you, and we're glad that you're here today. And uh, it's always good to have folks uh, with us uh, in the services, especially those who are our guests, and we're glad that uh, you're here with us as well today. And then we also have someone else in the service today that has not been here for a very long time, uh, but they have made it back. And there's Morris and Vicky sitting right back there. All just a testimony to the Lord, and we thank him for all he has done there. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 6 is where we will begin today. Let me say this to you. This is not a popular message. It will not be, okay? This is one of those that um, as, as, as we pursue uh, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and to be what we need to be, then there is some things in our lives that must be addressed. And there are often things in our lives where we may not necessarily realize it at the time, but as you spend time in the Word of God and you spend time with the Lord, then these things begin to make themselves um, available to our understanding in our lives. Let me put it to you that way. Oswald Chambers, uh, who wrote My Utmost for His Highest, made this statement. He wrote this in one of his devotionals, and here's what he wrote. He said, All heaven is interested in the cross of Christ. All of hell is terribly afraid of it. While men are the only beings who more or less ignore its meaning. And there's a lot of truth to that statement. As a matter of fact, even when we consider what we find in the New Testament, it says that Satan and his demons have the ability to change themselves into the angel of light. And matter of fact, one of the other things that it says, even Satan and his demons believe in God and they tremble because they know he exists. But why is it that man seems to come up with every excuse in the book as to why God does not exist, why there is no God, why we want to walk completely contrary to all that God is and to walk strictly within ourselves. As a disciple, there's no room for that. Jesus talking about being a disciple to the crowd that was gathered around him including the 12 and when he made this statement the cloud the crowd began to disperse there were not many left after he made this statement Jesus said if you want to be a disciple of mine here's what that entails he said you've got to deny yourself you got to take up your cross daily and then you can follow me and the crowd left that's amazing is it costly to follow Jesus Christ? It is. Is it something that is a that should be a daily part of our lives? It should be. It should be something that we desire as a child of God. It should be something that's a part of our life. If we're going to be a disciple of Christ, then here's what it means. It means coming to the point that we learn of, we follow, we know about, in hopes that we will walk into the the shoes or walk in the way of the one 
that we look to as the teacher, the one that we want to be a disciple of, one day to to be more like Christ. I mean, that is that's God's desire for us here. Matter of fact, Paul writing, he said this. In his writing, as, as Paul began to define this, in, in the book of Romans, chapter number 8, he said, we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's God's desire for us. But I will tell you, it's a, it's, it's a, difficult, it's a difficult thing. Theo Hobson, in his book, Reinventing Liberal Christianity, he sums up the three marks of modern moral revolution, and here's the way he sums it up. He said, what was universally condemned is now celebrated. What was universally celebrated is now condemned. And then he makes the argument, those who refuse to celebrate are condemned. And that's an interesting philosophical statement that he makes, but there's a great deal of truth to it. So where are we today? I, I will tell you something. There's a subject that none of us like to talk about. There's none of us who like to go there. And it's the subject of sin. And so as a disciple and a desire to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, here is one thing all of us have to deal with in our lives each and every day if we're going to be more like him, and that's to deal with the issue of sin. Now, I know we color sin every flavor that you can imagine okay you know by the way let me say this baptists are good at this we kind of number sin from one to ten and so if you commit number ten down here you know you're not as bad off as the one who commits number one and matter of fact as far as god is concerned you know it it, it, it's a whole lot better on you if you just kind of go on down that list to 20 to 25 or to 30. You know, you just kind of get down here at some level where it just really doesn't mean anything, doesn't matter to God. Let me just say something to you about sin in Scripture. Sin, I don't care what it is. God, okay, in His holiness and in His justness cannot look on sin. I don't care what it is. It's immaterial what it is. The sin of commission. In other words, we willfully, we, we, we know we're committing a sin. What about those that we don't necessarily know about? In other words, is there a sin that you can not necessarily know about? Yeah. What about those that we just, we just, we have difficulty. No, oh, by the way, okay. I hear people say this, it might be sin for you, but it's not for me. I'm not quite sure where you get that from, okay? But we're real good at doing that. So I guess the question this morning for you is, how do, how do, you, how do we see sin in our lives as believers? How do, we, how, do, how do we see sin in our lives? Well, if you go to Romans chapter number 6, Paul has an interesting discussion about sin and matter of fact i i, I love to hear people i hear people tell me this all the time you don't understand i don't have to worry about sin because i'm under grace so in other words what you're telling me is you can just live life however you want to live life and it's okay well i will tell you what if you're going to be a disciple of jesus christ it doesn't work that way 
It just, it doesn't, it doesn't function that way. And matter of fact, at the closing verses of chapter number five, as Paul deals with the subject of grace. So here's what he said. So what do we do? Just keep sinning. Verse one of chapter number six, Paul said, so what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? And notice what it said, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin, I mean, this is a valid question. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Verse 3, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? You know, a person who has truly died to sin cannot continue to live in it. Let me ask you a question. How many of us do? You cannot have divine life without having divine living. I mean, what is, what is our desire as we live life every day? Is it to be pleasing to him? It should be. We should have a desire in our hearts and lives to please the one who loves us so. The one who gave his life for us. Who took our place on the cross of Calvary. Our desire every day ought to be to please him. I mean, that's what you mean when you enter into a relationship with somebody that you love, okay? Our desire is to please them to do things that are honoring to them, to do things that are pleasing to them. Why would it be any different for us in our life as a believer? I mean, it shouldn't be. Because of his grace, one of the things that we need to be careful of, just because we're under his grace, and matter of fact, we're told this by Paul himself, do not ever use it do not ever use it as a license to live however you want to live because you can't not be a disciple of Jesus Christ well Paul goes on here in Romans chapter 6 you cannot have divine life without divine living look what he says in verse 4 therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Matter of fact, do you ever do you pay attention when we baptize, baptize somebody in the baptistry? One of the things when we baptize them, according to what we're given in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death, Romans chapter number 6, raised to walk in what? In newness of life. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, here's one of the things that ought to happen. We ought to walk in a newness of life. Paul also said, here's something else you need to understand. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, he said, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So our desires, those things that we ought to desire in our life, ought to be pleasing to the Lord. Now, sin is one of those things that we all struggle with. I don't know how many of you here, do I have anybody here this morning that lives in absolute sinless perfection? Anybody? 
Here comes the next question. How many of us all sin? Wait a minute. Let me try that one more time. How many of us in here all sin? Just making sure all the hands go up. Because I only know one who died a sinless, perfect life. And that was Jesus Christ himself. We all struggle with sin. Let me ask you a question. Did Paul struggle with sin? Sure he did. But here's the thing about Paul. Paul recognized. Paul knew he struggled with sin. Matter of fact, he said, the things that I ought not to do, he he said, I do. And the things that I should be doing, I don't do. He said, oh, wretched man that I am. How many of us in here find ourselves in the same situation? We all do. Because we all struggle with sin. And as long as we're in this fleshly body, we'll all, we'll all struggle with sin. But the question is, is where does sin bring us to in our lives? When we look at our own lives and we understand and realize that we have sin, what does it do to us? Is it something that we just, oh, <laughs> I've committed, let's see, how many sins did I commit today? One, two, three, four, five, six. Is that our attitude towards sin? Let me tell you what the scripture says. Our attitude towards sin ought to be this. We ought to lament over our sin. Sin ought to bring us to a point of brokenness in our heart and life when we know that we have absolutely walked in disobedience to the one who loves us. Does it do that? Or has it come to the point today, (laughs) well, God understands where I am. He knows what's going on. Does he? Verse 5, Paul goes on to write, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. What self? Our old self was crucified with him. In order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Doesn't say sinless perfection, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 7 For he who has died is freed from sin. In other words, we're no longer under the bondage of sin. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit, as a believer, takes up residence inside of us and enables us to live and to walk the supernatural life that we've been called to live and to walk not on our own that's why it's so important that every day we spend time with him and spend time in his word allowing those things as we read and study the word of god where we see in our own lives the shortfalls and the shortcoming and the sin. Verse 8, Paul goes on to say, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now look down at verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you. For you're not under law, but under grace. 
what then I know Paul's getting ready to answer the same question they were always going to say and that's just where I don't understand where people draw this from okay I understand you're under grace but grace is not a license to live however you want to live Paul's going to say it a second time look at verse 15 what then shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace and he answers the question again may it never be may it never be do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience you're slaves of the one whom you obey either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness but thanks be to god that though you were slaves of sin you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed and having been freed from sin you became slaves then of what of righteousness not of sin any longer but of righteousness it's who we are matter of fact it's interesting when you go to some of the children's classes the preschool classes you know they often ask the question sometimes is do as you're dealing with the subject of sin and oftentimes they will they will ask well who all is a sinner and they'll say you know they look up there at the teacher with this with this look as we're trying to teach them and and get them to understand a little bit of what sin is but what's always interesting is they always talk about oh the preacher is not a sinner Do you remember what Paul said about himself? Paul referred to himself as the chiefest of sinners. Because if we're all honest with each other in this building this morning, we're all sinners saved by his grace. If you're a believer. A sinner saved by grace. Please listen to this this morning. Salvation is not simply a transaction. It's a transformation salvation is not simply a transaction it's a transformation we're changed we're changed from the inside out so what do we draw from this as a disciple of Jesus Christ if we're seeking to follow him then sin should bother us So can we go someplace in Scripture where we say that sin truly affected someone that we have recorded for us in Scripture? We can. And matter of fact, it's it's a psalm I, I, I read on a not on an often basis, but I do read it periodically because of what it meant in my life early on in ministry turn with me to psalm chapter 51 known as the penitent psalm of david known as the penitent psalm of david david while king of israel committed not just one but multiple sins And matter of fact, for almost an entire year, David tried to cover it up. 
And it was not until David was confronted by Nathan. And as Nathan began to, to share an example with David, David became angry at Nathan and what Nathan had shared. And as Nathan began to describe the setting for what took place, David became so angry, he said, you know, he said, that individual should have to pay fourfold. And that's when Nathan looked at David and said, you're the man. And so at that moment in time, as David came to deal with all the sin that was had taken place in his life, we come to the 51st Psalm, known as the penitent Psalm of David. And I want you to notice what it says. David throws himself on the mercy of God. In verse number one, he says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. You see, David's sin affected his whole entire being. I mean, it brought him to a point in his life where it had its effect on him. And my dear friend, listen to me today. Sin will have an effect on you. As we allow that sin to continue, as we allow that sin to, to build in our lives, at some point in time, that sin is going to affect you. It will affect your very being and who you are. David goes on in verse number four and he says, Against you and you only. Let me tell you one thing David didn't do. David didn't blame everybody else. David didn't blame it on his circumstances. David did not blame it on anything else that was, was around him. Here's what David said. Against you and you only have I sinned. And notice what David said. I've sinned and done what is evil in your sight David understood what sin was sin is disobedience to the, to the very law of God himself and who he is it's to walk in disobedience to him and David knew that David knew exactly where he was so at the end of verse 4 so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge why? Because God is a holy God. God is a righteous God. God is a just God. And so when God speaks, He is justified when He speaks and He is blameless when He judges because of who He is. But David goes on to say, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. That phrase, hyssop, there in verse number 7, it was used to sprinkle the blood on the altar. And David says, purify me with that hyssop that I shall be clean, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. David says, just cleanse me, O God. 
Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart, know my thoughts, and see if there's any wicked way in me. We need to be careful if we ever come to the place in our lives where we desire to come to that point as a disciple of Christ and we beg and ask God to search our own hearts and to show us. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful of what he may show you. What you see in Psalm 51 is the high cost of committing sin. My dear friend, listen to me. It affects the relationship between us and God himself. That's how serious sin is. That's how serious sin is. Verse 10 Here's David's desire from all of it. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David knew that what allowed him to do what he needed to do day in and day out came from the Holy Spirit and the working of the Holy Spirit around him. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. David was not indwelt by the Holy Spirit as you and I are today, but the Holy Spirit was still at work. David understood and realized that. That's why David said, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. You notice he didn't say, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. He says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. And then David goes on in verse 14 Deliver me from blood guiltiness. O oh God, the God of my salvation, then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O oh Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. Sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God. You will not despise. Let me just say something to you this morning. It boils down to a heart issue. One of the reasons why so many of us draw back from being the disciple that we should be in Jesus Christ is because of a heart attitude. Because it's more about me than it is about him. And my dear friend, when we find ourselves in that place, that's the wrong place to be. How many of y'all remember the account of Saul? Saul was told on one occasion when he went in, you're not to keep anything. Everything. Samuel told him. God told him this. God told Saul, he said, when you go, you're not to take anything. You're not to keep anything. Matter of fact, Samuel had told Saul, he said, you need to wait because I will be coming to see you in just a matter of a few days. So just wait. 
till I get there before you do anything. So when Samuel came to see Saul, there was an issue. Samuel heard something behind Saul, and Samuel asked Saul, he said, what is it? shouldn't be anything it was taken from this town do you remember the words of Saul what he told Samuel he said well I kept these animals to do what to sacrifice it's not what God told him to do what did Samuel tell Saul to obey is better than what than sacrifice you see my dear friend it's not okay if I could explain it to you this way you can do all the sacrificing you want to do but if your heart is disobedient it's useless it's nothing when we serve when we serve the Lord and, and we seek to follow him are we following him and serving him with the right heart? Why do we do it? Why do we serve? Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, here's what has to happen. You've got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. We struggle to get past the first one. Why? Because we struggle with the issue of sin sin is a disobedient heart you see it's simply not enough to confess sin and experience God's cleansing we must let him renew with inside of us to renew us within so that we can conquer sin and not succumb to what? to temptation are we tempted? do we all struggle with temptation? I think we do let's go back to Romans chapter 6 Romans chapter number 6 you know, what's interesting is Paul wrote this letter <laughs> to, the, to the church at Rome. Matter of fact, if you go and remove all the chapter headings, get all, read all the chapter numbers, get rid of all the verse numbers. Just read it all together, the letter. It's interesting, chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's, it's, it's the thought and the theme of Paul. If we're going to have a relationship with Jesus Christ or with the Father, it's only through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And matter of fact, just in order for you to understand the magnitude of it, here's what it says. But God proved his love. In other words, it's not just words here. God proved that he loved you. How did he prove that he loved you? By sending his son to die and take your place while we were still a sinner. While we're still an enemy of God because of his great love for us and as a result of that we can have peace with God then you come to chapter number 6 and he says as a result of that grace and as a result of that change in your life 
you're no longer under bondage to sin but then you come to chapter number seven you see where paul struggled with it in his own life let me tell you what that shows for us to understand and realize that as long as we live here in this fleshly body of ours will we all struggle with sin we will but he goes on and he says in verse 19 of chapter 6 I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness resulting in further lawlessness he says so now present your members as slaves to righteousness resulting in what sanctification in other words that's the growing process it's the growing process so let me ask you a question this morning are you growing in your relationship with christ are you are you growing in your relationship with the lord you ought to be you should be but that's something listen <laughs> i remember when i was in school <laughs> I, I knew I, I i knew up to the day okay i i knew down to to the to the point okay that i had in order and what i was what would be necessary for me to pass the class and guess what <clears throat> i always waited till the last minute anybody else in here like that i can remember up into the wee hours of the morning finishing papers trying to get them turned in by the next morning but i always knew and I said, boy, it sure would be wonderful if somebody could invent something. You could just lay down and put your head on your pillow and go to sleep at night and wake up the next day and everything's ready to go. Doesn't work that way. I think sometimes we approach our Christian life that way. We, we know, but for me, okay, one of the most difficult struggles that I have in life, I'm one of those... Uh, I'll give you what the clinical word for it is a phlegmatic you know what phlegmatics are huh how many of y'all in here procrastinate anybody go ahead you can put your hand up I got mine up okay you ready for this I'll put my other one up you want to tell you why okay there was not anyone better at the act of procrastination than I was you notice I said, then I was. Because some things had to change. But you know, sometimes I think we, 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 we look at our Christian life. I knew, I knew at the last minute what needed to be done. But in our life as a Christian, we can't wait till then. We have to be involved now. So what does that mean? That means to seek him with our whole heart every single day. You know, the psalmist says, as a deer pants after the water brook, so our heart and our soul ought to seek him in that same manner. Do we? Do we? We can never be the disciple that he desires for us to be 
until we, until we seek him and actively look to follow him. And let me say this, and you'll never be his disciple until, first of all, you make him Savior and Lord in your life. And that's your choice. That's your choice. It's our choice of what we do in our life with him. Amen? That's why I believe when Jesus said, that's why the crowd thinned out, if you want to be my disciple, then you've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross daily. And then he said, after that, follow me. Amen?